View family, welcome home. The View is a place of real and imperfect people coming together to worship the real and perfect God. We believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and our mission is to make His name known in the city of Memphis. No matter what you've been through, no matter where you've come from, you belong here. Here at The View, we are training up believers to be bold enough to use their voice for the gospel. Since Christ died for the sins of the world, since He gave up His life for us, we're called to give up our lives for Him. In other words, it's not about me anymore. This semester, we're going to talk about love, a word that's thrown around so casually. But what does true, sacrificial love look like? How do we live in it, and how do we show it to others? We need to look to the one who sacrificed his life for us. This is real love. Amen. Welcome back to The View. So excited that you are here. And if you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and get it out. As well as a journal, notebook, something to take notes with. There's a lot of things that I would love for you to write down tonight. As you are getting your Bible out, go ahead and turn to John 13. I want to introduce myself. I know that we have a lot of uh, new guests in the room. And uh, for regular attenders, aren't y'all glad that we have new guests in the room? Amen? Yes. Amen. My name is Daniel Harris, and I serve as the college pastor here at The View. Uh, we're the college ministry of Bellevue Baptist Church that you are at currently. And we're so grateful that you're here. Thank you so much for coming and choosing to spend your Monday night with our family. We really are thankful you're here. You just saw two of our staff members in that video. That was Jasmine and Dakota, and we also have a director named Jacob. And those three work alongside me, and they've committed their lives to trying to win souls and disciple believers here in the city of Memphis. And all the things that they said in that video, I want you to know, are completely true. They're things that we have stressed here at The View for a long time, such as allowing the Lord to create an environment here where people can walk in and feel like they belong. Creating an environment where we have believers who are not silent in this world. Jeff Maxwell said it, who aren't silent in this world when a nation is in turmoil but are willing to speak up and use their voice. And then last semester, dying to self. It's not about me. This is all about Jesus. How many of you are grateful for Jesus tonight? Amen? Listen, I, hey, that's what I'm talking about. You can make some noise. We can have fun in here. Church is fun. Amen? If this is your first time here, thank you for being with us. And uh, this is, if you didn't see the table outside, we do have a table, but... We would love to connect with you, and we would love. You got a lot of, you see Nate, man. Nate was a first-time guest here at one point, just like some of you are, whether you're first time or second time or third time. Listen, if you're in the room, you're trying us out, you're trying to fill this thing out, maybe you're not a Christian. I have some people in here that are not Christians. Believe it or not, I promise you it's true. Listen, if that's you, all I want you to do is real easy. You got your phone on you right now. I know we all got our phones. This Gen Z and millennials, we won't go anywhere without our phone or our tablet or our laptop or some form of device. I want you to text guest to this number on the screen, 901-833-7525. You say, what's going to happen? <laughs> Am I going to get calls asking for my social security ID? Like, what's going to happen from this? All that's going to happen when you text this number, it's so easy. I did it five years ago. What's going to happen is one of our staff is going to reach out to you with a text message and just say, hey, thank you for coming. We would love to help connect you more to the ministry. We'd love to help tell you more about The View and more about Bellevue. So if that is you, excuse me, if that's you, please text that number. Fair warning in the room as we kick off a new semester, I am not an entertainer. I'll tell you that from the beginning. I'm not an entertainer. 
I'm not a comedian. My wife will tell you that. I am not a comedian. I am not, uh, I am not any of those things. If, like, if you came here to be entertained, you might be in the wrong place. I'm not an entertainer. We may be on a stage, but this ain't a show. It's not a performance. I want to get that right for the whole year, 2021. I am not an entertainer, and I'm not trying to entertain you. Any explanation, illustration, or application that I give this entire year, all of it, all of it, every single bit of it is not to make you laugh, not to make you feel bad. I'm not just trying to make you feel mad. I had a lot of people last semester who come up to me and say, Daniel, you're my least favorite person. I'm like, why? Like on Monday nights, you keep hitting me in the face. Boom, boom, this, boom, that, die to self this, die to self that. I'm like, man, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just, I'm just telling you what scripture says. And how many of you know, sometimes, all times, scripture is very direct about dying to self. Amen? It don't play around. Scripture, God does not play. God is very straightforward, Sean. All through the Bible, he's very straightforward. So just understand, this is a place of real and imperfect people coming together to worship the real and perfect God. If you're looking for a perfect pastor, you're not going to find one, and I'm not him. Far from it. This is a place where we come to worship only the name of Jesus. Not my name, not your name, not a president's name, not a politician's name, but the name of Jesus Christ, who we believe died on the cross for the sins of the world, including your sins. Hey, he died for you. You've probably heard that your whole life, but has it, it's clicked here, but has it ever clicked here? See, Jesus died for you knowing you were a sinner. You know, there's people in your life who won't put up with you because you're a little annoying. And Jesus knows all of your sin and chose to give his life for you. Is that not real love? <laughs> That's real love. That's what we're going to talk about in this series. Jesus died for you. But as I said a moment ago, he didn't stay dead. Death could not hold Jesus down. His body physically came out of that tomb. He rose from the grave showing that he is the son of God and that through him, Nate, you and you and me and her and him and whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus can have new life and know heaven while we're here on this earth. Isn't that amazing? Praise God for that. That's what we believe. That's what we believe. And that's what this place is all about. So thank you for being here. We're so excited that you are here. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down at the very top for me. I want you to write down, not the title yet, but I just want you to write down the word love. L-O-V-E. Say, Daniel, why'd you spell it? <laughs> we all know how to spell love. We know how to spell it, but we don't really understand it. Love, L-O-V-E. And as you look at that word for a moment, I want to call your attention to love for a minute. You cannot tell me a more overused, misused word, Jackson, than love. Can you? I must be talking to an empty room. I'll talk to the band. Up oh, there, gone too. Can you tell me a more overused word than love? You can't, can you? No. Our culture has overused the word love and misused it so much. And even I'm guilty of it myself. I'm 26 years old, and I say all the time, I love Hueys. <laughs> I love Hueys. I love the cheese tots, appetizer. I love the chicken miners. Let me be honest with you guys. I don't love Hueys. How I say I love my wife, I don't love Hueys like I love my wife. I'm misusing the word love. Their chicken miners are okay. The cheese tarts are slightly above average. They're not to die for. Y'all know it is true. Hueys is above average. It's not a place you love. We overuse the word love. We throw it around casually. We misuse it. We overuse it. We throw it too soon. And what I found is, especially with Hueys, whenever you overdo something or misuse it, it tends to lose its flavor, doesn't it? Oof. I go there eat their cheese tots every single day, every single week. If I do that, guess what? It's going to start to lose its value a little bit. 
And that's exactly what our culture has done to the word love. We have overused it and misused it so much to the point that now often, Caleb, in our day-to-day lives, we don't even understand the flavor and the value that love actually comes with. So what is love? Jesus is going to tell us tonight that it is something that we should be known by. I want to challenge you. When you look at Scripture, you see that the word love is not taken very lightly. I want to call your attention to a verse. This is 1 John 4, verse 16. This verse tells us, and when we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Look at this. God is love. Say that with me. You ready? God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. I want you to understand that overusing the word love has led a lot of us to a false understanding of what love actually is. We don't fully grasp it. I'm here with you. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. Amen. We have misunderstood what love actually is. I want to tell you tonight, love is not just giving someone a compliment. (laughs) Our generation thinks that if we just make somebody feel good or if somebody makes us feel good, then that's what love is. Love is not just affirmation. It's not just being nice. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people who don't know Jesus that are nice people. One of them, my best friend from high school, texted me today. It's not just about being nice. It's not just about some feeling that we get. There's something deeper to the word love, and that's why we all seek it so desperately. The problem is we're seeking it in the wrong places because there's only one who can give us real love. I want to tell you something. Christ-like love goes above and beyond anything that this world can produce. It goes above and beyond anything this world can produce. And Jesus is going to tell us in John 13 tonight a huge statement. And here's my question and my title of the night. I want you to write this down. What are you known by? Woo! This is what we are going to talk about tonight. What are you known by? Now, as you're writing the title and the big idea, I want you to understand the disciples spent three years with Jesus. We know this. They spent three years with Jesus, and they told us in their letters, they told us in Acts, they left behind for us what Jesus was known for. Let me have your eyes right here. They told us what Jesus was known by. Like if they were to say, hey, if you want to know what Jesus is all about, here it is. And it was his sacrificial love. Did you hear that? A love that sacrifices. In other words, a love that gives. This generation wants a love that provides, but they don't ever want to truly give up something. (laughs) They don't realize, we, me, I'm with you. We don't realize how sacrifice is tied to love because we want to hold on to this world while still choosing to love Jesus. But to love Jesus comes with letting go of this world, letting go of your flesh, letting go of your doubts and your insecurities and your worries. Why? Because you're trusting a Savior who is bigger than all of that anyway. (laughs) amen I'll tell you this what we're going to look at tonight in John 13 is so fascinating because he's going to say that essentially love the love of Christ is what you should be most known by that's your affiliation watch this I'm gonna say a team Chicago Bulls nobody said amen today hey thank you right there there's a name that comes to mind when you hear Chicago Bulls it wasn't Carlos Boozer (laughs) it wasn't Kirk Heinrich (laughs) it wasn't even Dennis Rodman it was who? No, it wasn't Derrick Rose. Not that ACL. <laughs> Michael Jordan. Watch this. 
For now, probably all of history, the Chicago Bulls, whenever they're mentioned, they're going to be most known by their affiliation with Michael Jordan. Jesus is going to tell us tonight that your affiliation, how you should most be known for all of history, should be your connection and your affiliation to Jesus, who is greater than you are. But see, here's the problem. We're associated with Carlos Boozers. And I hope he doesn't watch this stream because he's not going to like this. (laughs) He's going to be like, man. That's tough. And I love Derrick Rose. We in Memphis, so hear me say that too. But we're known by things that we should not be known for. We're known for being an athlete, which is great, but is that what we should most be known by? That you play a great sport? We're known by music, that you got a great voice? That we're known by, oh, he was kind or she was nice or they were attractive or their social media was booming. Like these things are not inherently bad, but let me tell you something. If we are known by them... (laughs) We are walking around being known by Carlos Boozer when we could be known by Michael Jordan. The illustration falls apart. Michael Jordan is nowhere close to Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. There is nothing in this world close to Jesus Christ. And that kind of sacrificial love is how we should be known in this world. So what are you known by? Look with me at John chapter 13. Let's see the words of Jesus Christ. Right before this, this is the chapter. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you are not, and that's okay. This is the chapter where uh, he had just predicted the betrayal of Judas. And he says right before this passage, he's talking all about the Son of Man being glorified. The Son of Man was a title almost always associated with death and suffering and also the resurrection. But Son of Man meant suffering. Here's what's amazing. He's about to tell that he's telling the disciples. Watch this. Don't miss this. He's telling the disciples about a tragic event. The Son of Man is about to be crucified. That's the worst event that has ever happened in human history, a sinless Savior being crucified. And God took the worst event in human history and made it the greatest event because he rose from the grave. Hallelujah. And what's amazing, he's telling them about betrayal. He's telling them about the Son of Man being crucified and and beaten and mocked. He's telling them about these things. Then he gives this new command. It's almost as if, hey, when tragedy hits, here's how you respond. Love. It's almost as if, hey, when you're betrayed... By someone like Judas, here's how you respond. Love. Now look with me at John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another. Isn't it so simple, yet humans have messed it up so badly? Love one another. And we can keep this verse on the screen. Love one another In other words, your race should not determine whether you love someone more or less. Whether someone is kind or mean, you should still love them with Christ-like love. Whether someone grew up like you or didn't grow up like you, you should still love them with Christ-like love. There's no no parentheses to this. There's no, I can't think of the right word in my mind. There's no alternatives here associated with it. It is love one another. Even when you look different, even when you talk different, even when you act different, love one another. And then he says, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. He goes on to say in verse 35, these are great verses to memorize. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, PJ, if you love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, I thank you that you have allowed us to gather in your name. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would have every word 
God, don't, who cares what I have to say? Lord, seriously, please open up the heavens. Come down and speak every word and convict our hearts and encourage us and show us where you're taking this ministry. And God, show us the truths that we need to put into play in our lives starting right now. Father, the devil is binded in the name of Jesus from this place. He has no hole here. He is a loser. And Father, we just ask that you would be glorified tonight. Father, I pray for every soul in this room that you would comfort, that you would encourage, that you would convict. Call us to repentance, Lord. Call us to evangelism. Call us to discipleship. Lord, we love you so much. If that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Number one, real love sees. I got three things, and at the end of each point, I'm going to give you a question that you can think about this week, some of them tonight, really. The first one is real love sees. It's not complicated. It's not alliterated. It's just real love sees. Now, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were commanded to love their neighbor as they love themselves. Jesus here says, love others as I love you. What's amazing is Jesus, in a sense, watch this, raises the bar. He ups the ante. He, he raises it to a new level of standard. No longer, Cole, are you called to love how others, how you love yourself, but to truly love others the way Jesus has loved you. Isn't that an amazing thing? When Jesus came in the New Testament, everything he did was raise the ante. In the Old Testament, they talked all about adultery. Jesus comes and says, hey, I tell you that if you lust after a woman, you have committed adultery. Jesus comes on the scene and essentially says that it's not just about what you do or don't do with your hands, but it's about what you do or don't do with your mind. It's not amazing. So once again here, it's no surprise that he raises the ante. He's calling us to love each other as we have loved him. And I want to stay on track here. I want you to understand something. In order to truly understand the Bible, some of you set out to read the Bible and you struggle. Here's why. When you don't understand context and setting and what's going on, it's going to be hard for you to read the Bible. Best place to start is John chapter 1 and read one chapter of John a day. If you do that, you're in a great place. Let me tell you something. If you don't understand context and setting, it's going to be hard to read the Bible. Elijah, here's the deal. You have a tube TV that's 12 inches old from 1970s. You have a flat screen TV, 65 inches. It's 1080p HD, 4K. They're at 8K now, whatever it is now. 8K. You can put the same movie on both of these TVs. They can show the same picture, yet the quality and the way that you can understand those two pictures is vastly different. When you read the Bible with no context and no setting, it's like watching it on a tube TV that's 12 inches long. You can get it, but you're still going to miss a whole lot. Versus when you understand context and setting and you put it on the flat screen, then all of a sudden you're seeing the same picture. It didn't change, but your understanding of it now has broadened and you start to catch things and see things and understand things you didn't before. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. When you take context and setting, it grows your mind. So here's the thing about Jewish culture. Here's what's fascinating. And lock in with me. I know you're like, this is the point I zone out. I'll, I'll listen when he gets back to Huey's. Now listen. <laughs> yeah, amen. <laughs> Boy, I'd tell you what. Got a wild group tonight. Jewish culture is a lot different than American culture. The way they thought, the way they interacted is different than how we do today. And when you read the Gospels, you have to have some sort of understanding of Jewish culture to really understand what's happening here. Watch this. And I appreciate Yeah, this will be on the screen. To learn about a person or to learn about God, an American culture, we would ask the question like this. We would ask, what is God like? What if I want to know 
about an athlete, I'll say, oh, what's LeBron like? Or if I want to know about a certain somebody, what's Nate like, man? What, what's he like? I ask these kind of questions. And what do you get oftentimes with this question? You get a list. You get attributes. Nothing wrong with this. Now, hear me. Nothing wrong with this. I just want to show you the differences. You get God is love. God is righteous. God is sovereign. Some of those church words, right? You get a list. God is kind. And you think, we think in these attributes and characteristics and lists, we think like this. In Jewish culture, they didn't think so much like this. Watch, this is so cool. If they wanted to know about you, or they want to know about me, or they wanted to know about God, they wouldn't ask, what is God like? They asked this right here. What does God do? <laughs> what does God do? You see, there's a big difference between these two questions because when you ask this question, you can get similar answers to God moves mountains. God provides for the hungry. God's like you get all these actions. And here's the thing about Jewish culture. Their minds worked, Ellie, in concrete actions. When they wanted to learn about somebody, they didn't just get a list of attributes. They watched what that person did. Let me tell you something. You can give a list all day long of who you are. Who you really are is what you do. Like you can sit there and say you're a Christian. You can sit there and say you're kind. But until you do it, you're not kind. <laughs> And that's why it's not better, but it's different when you look at the Gospels because to the Jews, they would just watch what you do. And that's what they would learn. That's what they would take away. <laughs> that's amazing. I got to stay on point here. I don't want to get off too much. What's amazing about this is when you look at it, here's the deal. In Jewish culture, imitation was bigger than just information. Information is important. I'm getting there. But imitation was more important than just information. We get it backwards in American culture. We have access to these. We can learn and find and search and Google and, and do all these things in a heartbeat and know everything that we possibly can. Yet we often lack on the actual doing. We often lack on the imitation part. We want all the info. We don't want to actually copy it. We want to know all that, that Daniel claims to know about Jewish culture, but we don't want to put the time into studying it to know ourselves and then to know it in a way that changes our lives. And I want to tell you something. Information of Christ with no imitation of Christ is a loveless life. Here it is right here. Information of Christ with no imitation of Christ is a loveless life. And I just want to tell you something. Some of you are new and you're like, man, he's beating me up. No, I'm not. God has more for you than just knowing who he is. He wants you to know who he is so that you can do what he does, so that you can live like Jesus lives, so you can talk like Jesus talks, so you can love like Jesus loved, so you can see people the way Jesus sees people. He has more. He doesn't just want to teach you. He wants to train you. <laughs> he doesn't just want to teach you. He wants to train you. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yes, information of Christ with no imitation of Christ, is a loveless life. Well, you guys are real comfortable with me. <laughs> Y'all shout out, can I get that again? <laughs> Man, <laughs> good. That's where we need to be. All right, amen. Amen. <laughs> I've never had that happen. Pastor, go back. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> Ain't got to tell me twice. <laughs> Look, we got the academics of love. We're just missing the action of love. I mean, we got the textbooks of it, but we have not put it into play yet. And what I want for the view is I believe and I, I sense in my soul that God is calling the view to not just have it here, but to have it here and to have it here. 
No, we can't just be theoretical Christians who go through the motions and have it all in our brain. No, God is calling us to really put it into action. I wrote this down. I thought that it's memorable, and that's why I do these things, because I think that they're memorable. And who could you teach this to this week? Watch. Knowing about Jesus without living like him is like a cook who got all the recipes but is never in the kitchen. I mean, hear me. When you know a lot about Jesus, but you're not living like him, you're a cook. You got all the recipes, but you're not in the kitchen cooking. Watch, recipes exist for the sole purpose of producing something. Do you know why the knowledge of God exists? To produce something, to produce repentance in your heart, first and foremost, to produce a a repenting of your sin. And then knowledge of who Jesus is exists to produce something out of you to love one another. Jesus is asked in Mark chapter 12, what's the greatest command? They're trying to stumble him. And you remember what he says? He doesn't just say, oh, they're all great. No, he tells them. He says the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, here's number two. See, you get number one, and here comes number two. Love each other as I have loved you. Isn't that amazing? We got the recipes. I believe this ministry has the recipes. It's time for us to get in the kitchen and start cooking. (laughs) It's time for the spirit of God to produce a love that is action based. You don't believe me? Here's John 15 verses 7 and 8. Jesus says this. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Coach, does that mean I can? (laughs) I said coach. (laughs) Pastor, does that that mean that I can? Man, does that mean that I can ask for a a Lamborghini and it shows up in my driveway? I know none of us are actually asking that, right? We wouldn't want a Lamborghini, none of us in here. Pastor, does that mean if I ask uh, to to have a wife that she shows up tomorrow? See, we ask for good godly things, but sometimes we don't want them on God's timing. Jesus says if you ask things that are according to his will, his heart, his glory, his kingdom, that he will answer those prayers. But a lot of times it's on his timing. Now, that's an amazing thing. Jewish culture was about concrete actions, concrete actions. That's why you'll start to understand more when you look at the book of James and you think about chapter 2, what chapter 2 is all about. He talks about how we are saved by faith, but works prove our salvation. In other words, excuse me, in other words, I wrote this down, your works don't save you, but if you are really saved in Christ, your works testify that you are saved. So you don't disciple, you don't evangelize, you don't read the word, you don't love people to be saved. You do those things because you are saved. Where people get at risk is they're claiming to be a Christian and they have no fruit, they have no works that look supernatural. That's when the question is asked, do you really know the Lord Jesus? Because when you really know him, It changes the way you think. It changes the way you act. It changes the way you talk. I'm not saying you're perfect, but he changes you. He is a life-changing God. Some of us, our perspective of God is so low, we don't even think he can come through for us. That's why we stop praying. That's why we stop asking for big things because we don't believe he's a big God. James says in chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, look at this. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. James is saying, and this is so good. Please don't miss this, Salas. <laughs> hey, if you want to know about my faith, if you really want to know about my faith, just look at what I do. 
I don't got to break it down for you. Just look at what I do. You'll learn all about my faith, which is so good. Can I ask you a tough question? I've been asking myself this for two weeks, three weeks now since Christmas. So I've been on this. I know this is new for you. It ain't new for me. But let me ask this question. If someone were to ask about your faith in Jesus, could you confidently say, oh, just look at what I do. Just watch me. If someone really watched the way you live, watch this, public life and private life, would they have a real understanding of what it means to follow Jesus? I'm serious, I'm not beating you up. I've been asking myself for three weeks, but seriously, if you couldn't say a word, could you just point to your actions and people would understand what it truly means to, to serve and follow Jesus? It's not about perfection, it's about repentance. Would they see repentance? Would they see restoration? Would they see evangelism? Would they see discipleship? Would they see you giving to others? Or is it all about receiving from others? If all you had was your actions, what would people say you're known by? What would people say following Jesus is really like? My fear in the American church is that if we pointed to say, hey, watch how we do, and that's how you can be a Christian. This ain't in my notes. If we just pointed to our actions, people would think Christianity is an hour on Sunday morning, and then we go to lunch, and we're mean to the waiter, and then we go home and don't talk or think about Jesus for the rest of the week. We come to a view service, and we sit in the crowd, and maybe I'll shout and holler just a little bit, but then when I walk out the door, I'm back to objectifying women again. I'm back to gossiping again. I'm back to doing all the same things I was doing when I walked in the door. Would they look at some of us veteran Christians who've been around doing it for a minute and say, man, I know what following Jesus is all about. It's all about being prideful. You can hear a pin drop in here right now. You know why? That's the spirit of God moving in some of our hearts, convicting us, and that's good. If they look at Christians and they walk away saying, oh, following Jesus means you need to be prideful and do ministry for your name and your kingdom and your fame, we've missed it. We've missed it. I'm not mad at you. I've been on this for three weeks. If someone looked at my life, I want them to know that following Jesus is not about pride. It's about repentance. It's about humbling myself. It's about getting down on the floor and crying in prayer. It's about laughing and loving people. But is that what they would see? And man, let me tell you something. Some of y'all ain't used to somebody getting hyped. You ain't going to hear this anywhere out in the world. When you go out in the world, all you see on TikTok, all you hear on your college campus, all some of you are hearing from your family is that you got to be great. You got to be the best. You got to be strong. You got to have it all together. You got to build your name. You got to build your social media platform. If you don't do it, who will? Let me tell you something. That's wrong. Jesus already did it for you. You're not taking your social media platform to the afterlife. Some of you think that account's going to hold over. It's not. They're going to memorialize it. It's going to say remembering. And nobody will click it anymore. Some of you think your outfits and your clothes and your body's going. That stuff is not going with you. Your body will, but that's not going to hold value. It's going to be whether you know Jesus Christ or not. That's what's going with you. Man, I told myself I wasn't going to get that hype. I'm spitting on the front row and everything. I'm so sorry. Some of you guys are like, this is what people have been talking about? This is the view? Yeah. <laughs> we get a little hype in here. <laughs> we get excited about the word of God, man. We get excited about the word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> See, do you know who the audience of James is? He tells us in the very first verse. To the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. He tells us in James 1.1. The crowd, the audience, Ryan, is Jews. 
He's speaking to Jewish people and they understand what he's saying. They get it. It's concrete actions. It's concrete actions. It's imitation, not just information. It's doing it and living it out and being about it in public and in private life. I got to move on. You think all about that. Then you reread John 13, 34 to 35. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. When Jesus says love, he's talking about concrete actions. And when he looked down at this earth and saw you, he loved you so much he had to come down for you. When Jesus saw you in your sin, he loved you so much he had to come down and die for your sins. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11 talks all about it. Look at this, some of the most famous and powerful verses in the Bible. Imagine you never heard this before, how big this would hit. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Meaning he didn't use it to beat us down. He used it to save us and build us up. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taken on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come and the likeness of humanity, we can keep it on the screen. The likeness of humanity means he suffered and was tempted the way you have been. He knows your temptations. He relates to it and he overcame it because you couldn't. And now that same power of the Holy Spirit lives inside of your body. He has provided an escape. That's what that means. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Some of us in here are just trying to be obedient to wake up early and read the word. Jesus was obedient to the Father to the point of dying on a cross for a a race of human, a species of humanity that did not want him when he came. Verse 9. For this reason, God highly exalted Jesus and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Amen. That is the gospel. And it changed my life, man. It changed my life. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. That's what happened when he saw you. He saw you in your sin and came down to this earth. Let me ask you a question. What would happen if we started seeing people like that? What would happen if we started seeing people like that? So, my God. Okay, I love you, man. Thank you. (laughs) Y'all make some noise for my man right here. Amen? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. He's got work. He's heading to work. That's my guy right there. Never had that happen. This is a night of first. <laughs> I mean, he real deal came up to me and said, hey, my guy, I'm heading to work. I love you, bro. <laughs> like, man, okay. Love you too, bro. Like, that's awesome. Praise God, man. He came here to worship and hear the word of God before going to work. Some of us are going home to sleep. We barely made it. He's heading to work a night shift. Wanted to get in the word and get in worship and see someone get baptized before he went to work. That's real love. <laughs> that's supernatural, man. What happens if we start dying to ourselves, man? That's what happens. He run up to the stage. He don't care how many people in here. I'll see you, man. I'm heading to work. Great stuff, man. He don't care. He don't care what y'all thought. He could care less. I saw him. I didn't know it was going to happen. He didn't care what y'all thought. Maybe some of us need to stop caring what other people think so much. (laughs) What would happen if we saw people the way Jesus sees people? What would happen if when we went to restaurants, we saw our waiter or our waitress? Some of us act like they're not even there. 
What if we truly saw the waiter or the waitress at every restaurant we went to and talked to them and engaged with them and asked them questions about their life? Let me tell you something. If a waiter or a waitress serves a Christian family and a non-Christian family and walks away from that shift and doesn't know which one was the Christian, we've missed it. We've missed it. What would happen if in this room you walked up to somebody tonight through the power of the Holy Spirit in real love and said a compliment that wasn't just based on their clothes, but actually asked them, man, how are you really doing? See, we will never show real love out in the world until Christians come to church and start showing real love. Five years ago this month, five years ago this month, I walked into the view as a first-time guest. Y'all know. I was 21 years old. I showed up to the view, didn't know what was going on. I cussed because I didn't realize what really was happening. I walked into this place as a first-time guest five years ago, five years this month. And when I came in, I was so scared. I was a University of Memphis student like some of you are. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know it that well. I knew about the ark and Daniel and the lion's den because that was my name. I knew some childhood stories, but I didn't know much about it. And I was so scared to come to the view. I was so scared to go to church. You know why? Here it is. I knew I couldn't fake being a Christian. I knew I couldn't do it. I knew that Christians faked it a lot. And I knew I couldn't copy that. So I was scared to walk in. I was rough around the edges. I had my friend Rod with me. We was rough around the edges, didn't have a lot of money, and just, and just coming in raw and real. And it, it's such a precious season of my life. And one of the first nights me and Rod were there, we were sitting at the view. No more than 70 people at the time in the whole room. 70 people. And we're sitting there in the view, and we're feeling discouraged. You ever gone to a place and felt discouraged? If you came in here tonight and felt discouraged, shame on us. That's the pastor saying. I walked in, me and Rod sat there, and we're looking around at all these Christians, and we're looking at everybody, and they got their Bibles and their journals, and there's nothing wrong with that, and they got their clothes nicely ironed. There's nothing wrong with that, I promise. And, and everybody's looking good, and they've got it, man. They got it down, and me and Rod are sitting there thinking the same thing to our heads, man. These people have it all together, and we don't. And I kid you not, as we're standing there worshiping, which I didn't know what to do during worship. I just stood there with my hands in my pockets. Some of y'all can relate. I just stood there with my hands in my pockets. This guy walks up to us, stands beside us. The only one in the room comes up and stands beside us. He looks over at us and he says, hey, in the middle of worship, hey, I bet it looks like everybody here has it all together, doesn't it? And we're like, Bro, they got psychics here. <laughs> they got mind readers here. How they do that? He says to us, he says, I bet it looks like everybody's got it all together, don't they? <laughs> we both shake our head yes. He looks at us dead in the face. He's not a staff member. He wasn't a pastor. He was a regular college student like you. He looks at us and he says, hey, nobody here has it all together. And I want you to know something. You ready for this? It's going to sound familiar. You belong here as much as anybody else does. I'm standing there shook. My stomach has dropped. My heart, it, because I'm like, what do I say back to him? I'm like, you know, amen. <laughs> I say, church, what I know, amen. Amen, man, amen. We're shocked. 
And five years later, I still remember that moment. You know why? Because he wasn't staff. He was a regular college student. And he walked up in the power of the Spirit of God and spoke to us the exact word that we needed to hear. Can I ask you a question all across the room? What's stopping you from doing that here? For real. What's stopping you from doing that here? Because some of us treat this like Target. We just come in to get whatever we can for us and then bounce. (laughs) What's stopping you from seeing someone in their loneliness or their hurt or their desperation and you being the one to engage with them instead of us always sitting around whining about wanting someone else to engage with us? Jesus saw the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, and he moved to encourage her. He saw her and it led him to action. Seriously, what's stopping you from doing that tonight? Ain't nothing stopping you and me from doing it but our own selfishness. Our own pride, our own lustful desires, that's what. My question I want to ask you is, question number one, who could God be trying to get you to truly see this week? (coughs) Going to move quickly here. Who could God be trying to get you to truly see in your life this week? Number two, we'd love for you to write this down. Not only does real love see, but number two, real love walks. Now, I love that language. Real love walks. Real love sees and real love walks. In Ephesians chapter 5, some of my favorite, favorite verses of Scripture especially of Paul, this will be on the screen. Ephesians chapter 5, 1 to 2, here it is. Therefore, be imitators. Well, that, that language of imitator sounds familiar, doesn't it? Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And look at this. Walk in love. As Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial, there's that language again, and fragrant offering to God. I want to tell you something. Real love doesn't just talk. It walks. <laughs> Real love doesn't just talk the talk, it walks the walks. And I'll show you two of the heaviest hidden verses. One of them right here, John 14, 15. You can't get any clearer than this. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Read that with me. Here we go. If you love me, you will keep my commands. I'll give you a Daniel translation. If you love me, do what I say. If you love me, obey. And not halfway. Half obedience is half Obedience is still disobedience. Halfway doing it for God is still full ways denying and disobeying God. You cannot just do half of it and be good. And some of us who have been Christians for a while are really, really good at doing halfway obedience. We're really good at halfway obeying God. I wrote this down. It's stupid, but I wrote it down. I said halfway obeying God is like taking a shower with your clothes on. (laughs) I told you it was stupid, but I still like it. Halfway obeying God is like taking a shower with your clothes on. In other words, you can be in the right place, but have the wrong posture. You can be in the right place and still have the wrong posture. In other words, you can be exactly where you're supposed to be and yet still be dirty because you have not fully obeyed God. You're in the place that the water is supposed to hit you, but you have not shed that layer that you need to do to truly be cleansed. See, a lot of us are here on Mondays. Congratulations. You are in the right place. I am too. But if our heart is not open to what God wants us to do tonight, we might as well be here just like we're in the shower with our clothes on. See, we are missing the blessings that God wants us to have tonight. We haven't shed that layer. 
Half obedience is still complete disobedience. When people come to the view, when they come to Bellevue, when they walk in those doors, they should experience a supernatural love. And here's why. The consequences when they don't are huge. Everyone in this room knows the name Gandhi. A picture of him will come up on the screen. Everybody's familiar with the name Gandhi. When I say that name, probably 95% of us know the name of Gandhi. We know a lot about him. Some of the things were he, he was a lawyer and he was trained in law in London, which is fascinating. He coined many famous quotes that people still use today. He was Hindu. He didn't know Jesus as his personal savior. Even though a lot of his quotes, some of them can be true in a sense. They sound like scripture. He did not know Jesus. He did not know him as his personal savior, as far as we know. As far as we know, he did not know him as his savior. But did you know that in his autobiography, he talks about his student days? And this is so fascinating. He talks about his student days when he was studying school. And watch this. As a student, he read the four gospels of Christ. Did you know that? As a student, he read and studied the four gospels of Christ. He read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he was considering converting to Christianity. Seriously considering it. This is what he said. He believed that the teachings of Jesus were the solutions to the divisions of India. He saw the four gospels, started to sense that they were truth, and realized that they could be the solution to all the division that they had in India. Now, pause. Can you imagine if Gandhi had truly known Jesus, what a force he would have been for the kingdom? Can you imagine Gandhi living for Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God? I can't imagine it. So one Sunday, when he was a student, he attended a church service, and he, and he went there, watch, to talk to a minister about becoming a Christian, about repenting and believing in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And watch this. When he entered the sanctuary doors, a place that he should experience real love, a place he should experience the supernatural, life-changing love of Christ, he walks in the door, and the usher refuses to give him a seat. Think about that. What if you walked in the door and you were refused a seat tonight? What would your perspective of Jesus be? It'd be off. Watch this. It goes on to say, and the usher, similar to our door holders, similar to our greeters, similar to the guy behind the first time guest booth, same thing as the usher, the people that are serving here. So for all the leaders in the room that are holding signs and holding doors, let me tell you something. When you don't do what you're supposed to do in the power and the love of Christ, eternity's on the line. I'm talking to a small Portion of students tonight, good. When you're holding the door, when you're greeting, when you're behind the table out there, eternity's on the line. He walks in, the usher refuses to give him a seat, and he looks at Gandhi. The usher looks at Gandhi and he says this, hey, why don't you go worship with your own people? Gandhi left the church that day and never revisited Christianity again. He said, his words, if Christians have that much division too, I might as well stay Hindu. The ones who are supposed to have the Holy Spirit of God living in us, if they got all these divisions too, I might as well stay a Hindu. You know what? He walked in the door, experienced racism, experienced prejudice, experienced a lack of real supernatural love, experienced a lack of God using those people because they were not obedient and he left Christianity. Let me tell you something. Souls are on the line when you are claiming to be a Christian. Amen. I know I'm speaking to a large audience in here and I'm not trying to get on you, but I got to tell you how it is. If you are claiming to be a Christian and you are openly choosing to not do what Christ has commanded you to do, man, that's a that's a dangerous place to be. I know a lot of people don't like me right now. That's okay. That's a dangerous place to be. Don't do that. 
in your power, to the best of your ability, through the power of the Holy Spirit, do everything you can in love. Love one another, those who look different, those who talk different, those who act different. Love them with the power of the Holy Spirit of God, because when you don't, there are souls on the line. We are not in control of whether people get saved or not, but our impression of somebody can be the only impression they have of Jesus Christ. You ever realize that? Sometimes the only Jesus they're going to see face to face may be what they get from you. That's why obeying God is important, man. It matters. It's not just about me and you. <laughs> We're back to the same thing as last fall. Good. <laughs> it's not just about me and you. My second question is this, moving really fast here. How is God calling you to put love into action right here after this service? I'm giving you these points and then I'm giving you questions and I want you to answer these questions. I'm serious. How's God calling you to put love into action right here after this service? I mean, it doesn't start when you get home. It starts when your butt gets up out that seat. I'm serious. That's real love. That's real love. And then number three, not only does real love see, all with me, not only does real love see and real love walks, but number three, real love sacrifices. Amen. Real love sacrifices. It's sacrifices for people who don't look like us. It's sacrifices for people who come from divorced homes. It's sacrifices for people who, who are different cultures and ethnicities and, and value different things in us. It's sacrifices. There's a lot of people in here that need this verse. It's probably maybe the most popular verse, top five. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall never die but have eternal life. Amen? Amen. I memorized that at a VBL. Yeah, thank you. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I can't sing. That's, how, that's the first verse I ever memorized in my life because I memorized it at a VBS when I was six years old. John 3.16. You can memorize it too. Says that God so loved the world. And that's what's powerful about scripture memory. I've never forgotten that verse. Even when I was lost, I would think about that from time to time. There it is on the screen. Look at this. We, we gloss over this verse. We say, oh, John 3, 16, I know that one. For God loved the world. In other words, he loved you in this way he gave. You want to know if you're walking in real love? Look and see if you're giving. <laughs> Look and see if you're giving. And if you see giving, you might just be walking in real love. Then you got to ask, what are you giving? <laughs> Are you giving people kindness? Are you giving people encouragement, exhortation? He loved and he gave his one and only son, that's Jesus who was sinless, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. The other one I love is John 15, 12 to 14, another one where he says it again. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that no one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Let me ask you a question. You got friends in this room tonight? You got friends in here tonight? Yeah, I hope so. You know what? If you don't know anybody else in this room, I'm going to be right up here. Come and talk to me. I will be your friend tonight. I don't care who you are. You come up here and say hey to me. I'll be right here. Real love says you sacrifice for your friends that you would literally be willing to die for your friends if the name of Jesus is being glorified in it. It means you would even die for someone who is betraying you the same way they betrayed Jesus. Isn't that fascinating? For a moment here, I want you to imagine heaven. Very briefly, I'm serious. Imagine heaven in your mind. 
What would it look like? Who would be there? What would you be doing? Now look at this quote. The critical question for our generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the, I'll put that in there right there, hobbies, sports, et cetera. He said leisure activities you ever enjoy and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, all the Hueys you could want, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict, no natural diseases, could you be satisfied with heaven? Think about it, man. That sounds like a dope place. That sounds better than this earth, right? You got everything you want. That's not all the quote. Let's put the second slide up there. Here's the rest of it. If Christ were not there, would it be enough? Would it be enough? If you had all those and no Jesus, could you be satisfied with that? That's the critical question for our generation. See, here's the sad part. I think Francis Chan said it best. He said, the sad thing is God never needed us, but wants us every single day. And here we are as humans. We need God every day, yet we hardly ever want him. If you had to give up all those things that were on that first slide, all of it, if you had to literally sacrifice all of it, I'm talking about Abraham at the altar. If you had to lay it all down, everything, and gain Jesus, could you do it? Could I do it? Because I believe he's enough. (laughs) You take away all those things, if I got Jesus, I got everything. (laughs) You give me all those things, you take away Jesus, I got nothing. (laughs) I got nothing. Brooke was a girl that was 14 years old. She was in junior high. And one of the things that was amazing about Brooke is I was reading this story. This is so fascinating. You don't want to miss this. Brooke, when she was in middle school, watch this. Her goal was to collect Bibles. Doesn't sound fun. Haley doesn't sound cool. Doesn't sound like she was overly popular at her school. Her goal was to collect Bibles. And here's why. She was madly in love with Jesus at the age of 14. Watch this. Madly in love with Jesus, Ibuka, at the age of 14, so much that her goal was to collect Bibles so that she could give one to every single one of her lost friends. Isn't that amazing? She had more of a heart for her lost middle school campus than some of us college students do about our lost college campus. She wanted to collect these Bibles to give to her lost friends. She loved Jesus Christ. You drop that one more time, I'm coming for you. (laughs) Man, dropped it a second time. He said, I know, man. Yeah, she loved Jesus Christ. And she wrote an essay, and it's only a few sentences. It's a paragraph. Brooke Bronkowski. She wrote an essay at the age of 12. Let's put this on the screen. Look at this. She says, I'll live my life to the fullest. I'll be happy. I will be kind to others. I will loosen up. Some of us in here need to loosen up and stop being so rough around the edges and rigid about it. She said, I will tell others about Christ. I have no, I will have no troubles, but instead help others with their troubles. You see, I'll be one of those people who live to be history makers at a young age. Oh, I'll have moments, good and bad, but I'll wipe away the bad and only remember the good. Look at this right here. I have my life before me. That's the name of it. I have my life before me. I will give others the joy I have and God will give me more joy. I will do everything God tells me to do. I will follow the footsteps of God. Isn't that awesome? I have my life before me. 
At 14 years old, she was killed in a car accident. 14 years old. Had her life before her. Killed in a car accident. Francis Chan did a memorial service for her. And at this memorial service, they said that 1,500 people came. That's times this room by five and six, seven. That's how many people came to her memorial service. She's 14. People walked up. Her classmates walked up on the stage. They read poem after poem after poem that she wrote about Jesus. They told stories about how she loved Jesus. They didn't talk about her little social media platform. They didn't talk about how she was an athlete. Every single one of them talked about her love for Jesus. And then here's what's amazing. At the very end of it, Pastor Chan did an invitation for those to come forward and give their life to Jesus. And he said that nearly maybe over 200 of her college peers at her memorial service came forward on their knees at the stage, repenting of their sins, trusting Jesus. 200. She led more people to Christ in one day being dead than most people do their whole lives being alive. And all 200 of those students that got saved walked away with a Bible. You know where those Bibles came from? She had over 200 stored up to get to every lost friend. They got saved, and they walked away with the Bible she stored for them. Can I tell you something? I was hit in the gut realizing that Brooke, at 14 years old, was known by nothing except her love for Jesus Christ. Here's question number three. What will you be known by? (laughs) What will you? Be known by.